What's good for thee is not for me. American columnist Thomas Friedman, a vocal advocate for policies to stop so-called climate change, lives in a house that's 11,400 square feet. When challenged, he claimed uh, that it was completely carbon-free because he planted a whole bunch of trees. And because part of the house is solar. Oh. This past fall, delegates from around the world gathered in Egypt for a climate conference. And they arrived in 400 private jets. Even though private jets create 5 to 14 times more carbon per person than commercial airplanes. Hmm. What's good for thee is not for me. Many times over the past couple of years, during our COVID restrictions, there have been many uh, lawmakers, politicians that have signed into law different rules and regulations that we are to follow, and yet they do not always. And you say, Governor Gavin Newsom. What's good for thee is not for me. And have you noticed that when somebody is called out for um, their hypocrisy, there is often a, 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 a stubborn doubling down to justify their do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do behavior? Does mishandling classified documents by a chief executive officer come to mind? But hypocrisy is not the problem of just politicians. Hypocrisy is a problem that we all face perennially, maybe daily. It's something that we all wrestle with. And particularly those who are people of the book, Jews, Christians, we have God's written revelation, his self-revelation given to us. And yet with that, sometimes our acting does not coincide with our believing. We say we believe this, but do we actually do it? In the text of Scripture this morning, uh, we find... Jesus, again, dealing with a group of people, a group of Jews, where there is uh, evidence of a um, do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of behavior. There was an underlying um, affirmation of the truth of God's word, and yet 
um, not always did they practice what they were preaching. Oh, they would encourage their children, no doubt, to pay attention in school to what the scriptures are, uh, what the scriptures say. But in actuality, to do them, to believe, and to respond as God has instructed us in His Word, doesn't always happen. We're at the end of John chapter 10, and I invite you to turn there with me. I'm going to read our text beginning at verse 31 to the end of the chapter. John 10, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, You are God's. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. Many came to him. And we're saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. I divided our text into four sections this morning. You'll find them in your notes. First, the charge that these Jews brought against Jesus. I take you back to a part of the text that we considered last week. These Jews were trying to wrap their mind around who is this Jesus? And they asked the question, verse 24, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Remember, as we looked last week, they surrounded Jesus like a pack of hungry wolves looking to pounce. And they asked Jesus, demanded from Jesus, tell us plainly, openly, publicly, right here, right now, are you the Christ, that is, are you the Messiah, or not? (laughs) 
Jesus says, verse 25, I told you. I already told you. Now, Jesus was not willing to play their game. They had in their mind, these first century Jews, a specific definition of who the Messiah was and what he was to do. It was a political Messiah with military might. The Messiah in the minds of these Jews was a beat-em-up of these Romans kind of guy. He was going to kick out these usurpers that were demanding authority, taking their money, and Messiah would set them free. But Jesus wasn't going to play their game. He wasn't that kind of Messiah. Yet. Oh, he would bring military strength and might, but not at his first coming. He had another mission, a different mission. He was specifically sent by the Father in order to redeem mankind. Jesus was the Messiah to redeem. Not at this point the Messiah to kick out the Romans. So he tells them, I told you, in response to their question. He didn't previously tell them, I am the Messiah, not the Messiah. He proved to them by his works, by his miraculous signs, who he was, and it was unambiguous. The Jews previously knew exactly who he was, And when Jesus concluded his statement in verse 30, I and the Father are one, these Jews knew that Jesus was not saying that he and the Father were one person. They knew that Jesus was saying more than than Jesus and the Father had the same mission, the same purpose. They understood Jesus perfectly well. And what Jesus here is declaring is that he is of the same essence as the Father. He's of the same stuff. He is ontologically one with the Father. This is an unambiguous, very clear declaration of Jesus' divinity. The Jews got it just like they got it before. Chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 59. We find the same thing as we do in chapter 10, verse 31, the first verse in our text. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus was very clear. They understood what he was saying. Though a man, fully man, he laughed, he cried, he ate, he slept, he walked, just like any other man, but he was more than that. He was God in the flesh. 
they got that. And they picked up stones to kill him. Now, this is an example of, of, of a lynching. We know um, the word lynching from post-Civil War days in these United States. We know the word lynching from uh, the Old West, where one who was supposedly offended or wronged assumes the, ro- the role of judge and jury. And if they have the firepower, if they have the manpower, uh, especially if they have the backing of some authorities behind them, they also take on the hat of the executioner. Put aside due process of law. Put aside any court system. Put aside any formal charges. If you have offended me, I will take it out on you. I will be judge, jury, and executioner. Well, this is a first century lynching or attempt to. First century lynching was uh, a stoning. We find that this is the the method of execution that is prescribed in Mosaic Law. Leviticus 20, 24, a number of times in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, we read that for uh, for a capital offense, a guilty individual, one who has gone through the court process one who has had a, uh, the, the, the due process of law, this one who is found guilty is to be stoned to death. Blasphemy was one of those capital crimes. You'll remember um, maybe one of the, uh, the most well-known incident of stoning in the Old Testament took place after the Israelites uh, walked into God's promised land. When they did so for the first time, they were instructed by the Lord to go first to the city of Jericho. And God had a, a, a whole uh, process that they were to, to um, uh, march around the city uh, once for six days, seventh day, walk, walk around the city seventh time. And, and then they were to shout, and when they were to shout, when, when, they sh- were, when they shouted, the Lord was going to cause the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down. And that's exactly what happened. Prior to uh, their conquest of this particular city, God treated this particular battle as if Jericho was a firstborn. Now, the law of the firstborn in the Old Testament system was that the the firstborn belongs to God, be it animal or be it man. And and if if you were to um, uh, give birth to a firstborn son like I was, uh, the family, my family, would, would have to buy back the firstborn. The firstborn belongs to God. 
similarly when we, when we talk about um, the giving of our tithes and offerings to the Lord. Um, the first fruits belong to the Lord. Anything else is thievery. Well, during this campaign of Jericho, um, it worked out this way. When the walls came tumbling down and the people went in to clean up, that is to, to take out all of the pagan worshipers that God said, remove them, the Israelites were to walk by everything that was there. Nothing in that city was plunder. Nothing was a prize of war. It all belonged to God. Everything was under the ban. Everything belonged to God. You were not to take anything. Well, there was a man by the name of Achan who found some things that he really liked, didn't think he could live without them, and he pocketed them. And then he told his family, and they were complicit in his crime. If you remember the story, they went up against the next target, the city of Ai. And initially, the Israelites were defeated. And General Joshua went before the Lord, crying, saying, God, why is this? And the Lord said, because there is sin in the camp. Specifically, there was one who violated my ban when you conquered the city of Jericho. The Lord revealed who the parties were that were guilty. Joshua asked. We read it in, in uh, Joshua 7, 25. He had uh, Achan um, and his family there. He says, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel, listen, stoned them with stones. Why is it? that God used this particular method of execution? A couple of reasons. The act of holding a rock and throwing that rock at the guilty party until that person is dead brings with it a mental, physical, volitional affirmation that there is wrongdoing. Additionally, when I am participating in this public execution, I am insisting of myself that that particular deed was wrong. It was worthy of death. It was a disgrace before God. And it worked in such a way that I am never going to go there. So, so there is built into this um, an individual compliance with the standard of God's law built into this kind of public execution. So here we are back at John 10. 
And Jesus is the one that is um, um, uh, about ready to get lynched in a first century sense. People are picking up stones because they perceive that Jesus has violated a particular commandment. Namely, he has blasphemed. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16 reads, The one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone Now, what, what happened is that these Jews came with an a priori um, judgment of Jesus, meaning they had in their mind a particular definition, a particular understanding of, of godness and humanness that they couldn't they couldn't mix together with what Jesus was portraying of himself. It, it worked out like this. God is a spirit being. He cannot be even seen. If he is seen, man will die. God is a spirit being, period. Jesus is standing before us. And he's as much man as anybody. He laughs, he talks, he cries, he he eats, he sleeps, he walks. He's just like any other man. Ergo, therefore, Jesus cannot be man like he is and God at the same time. Impossible. Can't be done. So for Jesus to claim that he is divine, we know he's human, but for Jesus to claim that he is divine is obviously a violation of Leviticus 24:16 he has blasphemed and must be executed by stoning my kids are going to participate in this my nieces and nephews are with me and we are all going to participate in this this kind of behavior this kind of blasphemous word from this man will not be tolerated It's an open and shut case in the eyes of these Jews. This is their charge. Second page of your notes. The challenge. Verse 32, Jesus asks the question, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? Can you imagine the calmness of Jesus? Yes, he knew that his time had not come. But rather than run, rather than hide, uh, he is standing there and he's engaging these people with rocks in their hands. He's engaging them in a conversation. And he asks this question. 
I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? I, is there any uh, a deed that's deficient? Is there any deed that does not glorify the Lord? When you think about all of the, the, uh, the signs that Jesus performed, just here in John's Gospel, in, uh, in chapter 2, he turned the water to wine at a wedding feast in Cana. Um, in, um, in chapter 5, he healed a man who was lame for 38 years. Um, in chapter 6, he feeds 5,000 men plus their families. In, also in chapter 6, he, he walks on water. Um, let's see here. In, um, in chapter 9, of course, he heals a man who had been born blind. Born blind. And Jesus asks a question. For which of these um, do, you, do you seek to execute me for? Was, um, was healing the sick uh, the, the deed that you're, 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 uh, you're finding me guilty of? What, 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 about, um, uh, what about casting out demons? What about healing somebody who was born blind? Or feeding hungry people? Which of these signs um, reveal that I am uh, guilty here? of blaspheming the name of God. They answered, verse 33, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. It, 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 it's, it's not possible, Jesus. So, so because of the way they came to this situation, trying to figure out who is Jesus, They shut their eyes to the truth. They said, children, I, wa I want you to, to, to listen to your Sunday school teacher. Um, I, I want you to learn from what, what the Bible says. But they weren't learning what the Bible said themselves. Verse 34. Has it not been written in your law let me pause here for a second. When, when Jesus talks about your law, he's, he's not saying that they have some other law other than the Old Testament, Hebrew Scriptures. No, when, he, when he's, he's, he's saying that, he's, he's saying, you have a standard of truth. Do you not, gentlemen? Yes, yes, we do. Well, this is what it says in your law, the law. God's word. It says, I said you are gods. Now, on the surface, that sounds cryptic, kind of weird, wackadoodle. What is Jesus doing? In this brief section, Jesus is urging them to go back to the scriptures. What do the scriptures teach? And he quotes from a particular psalm, Psalm 82. I said you are gods. Let's, let's, let's pause here. We'll, we'll continue here in John 10 in just a moment. I want you to turn there with me. Psalm 82. 
You'll find it. Don't give up. Psalm 82. Psalm of Asaph. He's the author. He writes this. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, which means stop reading and think about what you just read. Vindicate the weak, verse 3, and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. There's the quotation. And all of you are sons of the Most Holy, Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Okay, here's the deal. There are some unjust judges and rulers in Israel. Verse 1. Judges, rulers. Verse 2. They are judging unjustly. They are showing partiality to the wicked. You know what that's called? Bribes. He says, verse 3, this is what you guys need to be doing. You need to be vindicating the weak, vindicating the fatherless, doing justice to the afflicted, doing justice to the destitute. Verse 4, rescuing the weak, rescuing the, the needy, delivering them out of the hand of the wicked. This is your task, rulers, judges in Israel. Going back to uh, an image from John chapter 10, Jesus says, these are illegitimate shepherds. They're not doing what God has given them to do. He has tasked them to fairly, justly, rightly make decisions on behalf of all men, particularly paying attention to the weak, the fatherless, the needy, the destitute. And they did not. Verse 6. Nevertheless, these who have been charged with a very high responsibility before Almighty God, these God has called God's. You are God's. The Hebrew word is Elohim. Familiar name for God. You are God's. And all of you are sons of the Most High. You have a position of privilege and responsibility and opportunity. And you are charged with using that privilege, that opportunity, for the good and the benefit of all. You are to make pronouncements in a just, fair, honorable, God-honoring way. But they were not, verse 7, 
Nevertheless, because they had not fulfilled their responsibility, they would die like men, fall like any one of the other princes. Okay, the point here is that these people who have been given a responsibility, a task, they are called gods by the Lord himself. Specifically, and, and in addition, they are sons of the Most High. They have a privileged position. Okay, now turn with me back to John 10. Has it not been written, verse 34, has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? Uh, yes, okay. Now Jesus is going to, to use this for a teachable moment. If he called them gods, that is these unjust rulers and judges in Israel, if he called them gods to, her, to whom the word of God came, and what he means by that is that the scriptures, God's self-revelation came to these judges and these rulers. They knew what the standard of justice was, was, uh, uh, was all about. It had been given to them by God. If he called them gods, the, the, the psalmist called them gods, to whom the word of God came, these rulers and judges had God's word in front of them, and then he says, and scripture cannot be broken. He, he means by that that, that you can't um, remove and replace the word of God in whole or in part. These judges, these rulers, had been given God's standard. They have it in the scriptures. It's right there before them. And they couldn't replace that with something else. Nor could they just break off a little piece of it because it really, it's not what I want to do. I don't like that verse. No, God's word can't be broken. It is inerrant. It is flawless. It is whole. You you can't push aside any of it in whole or in part. You got the whole thing there. If the psalmist called these guys, these unjust stewards, illegitimate shepherds, if he called them gods, Elohim, to whom the word of God came, they've been given God's word, the scriptures can't be broken, they had no authority to, to dismiss the scriptures in any way, on any level. Verse 36 do you say of him, capital H, speaking of Jesus, do you say of him, the Christ, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Jesus is making a, uh, a, a, a lesser to greater argument. 
The lesser are these uh, illegitimate shepherds, these um, unfair, unjust, bribe-taking judges and rulers in Israel. These ones who had been given a, 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 a responsibility by God were called Elohim. They were called sons of the Most High. And Jesus asks these people, no, wait a minute. If the scriptures can't be broken, and this is what they say of these unjust rulers and judges, what about one who comes to you expressly, purposefully, specifically sent, commissioned, sanctified by the Father with the Word of God, the standard of truth that is in keeping with your scriptures. Can you declare that one who is the true Son of God? Can you declare that one a blasphemer? What Jesus does not say, but he certainly implies here, is that the charge of blasphemy against him is misdirected. They are the ones who are guilty of the greater blasphemy for saying that Jesus is not the Son of God, that Jesus is not the incarnation of the Most High. He is the incarnation of the Word of God. Verse 37, point number three. So, Jesus says, if, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. If you find anything that I have done to be deficient, or to steal the glory of God that is due him alone, then don't believe me. Don't take another Look at me or listen to anything that I say. Verse 38. But if I do them, he's speaking of all of his miraculous deeds. And there were many. One, one scholar found that there are, are 35 distinct miracles of Jesus in the four Gospels. But John says at... Um, Toward the end of chapter 20, he says, um, many other signs Jesus also performed. So there's a whole boatload of, of, of miraculous deeds that Jesus did, each one verifying, authenticating, proving the fact. This is evidentiary proof that he is God in the flesh. If I do them, all of these deeds, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What Jesus is saying is this. Words are cheap, my friends. Though I have told you who I am, We've had this, this discussion, and, and we looked last week at, 
at some, some very specific places where, uh, where Jesus made himself known exactly. He laid it out. woman at Samaritan well, the man Jesus healed blind from birth, Pilate. These, these kinds of conversations, Jesus made himself very crystal clear in specific words who he was. But he said, put, put the words aside. Just look at the works. Nobody could do the things that Jesus did and not be God. The glasses that you are coming to me seeking to understand who I am are clouded. You need to take them off. You need to clean them. Then put them back on and you will see clearly what I say. What I do match. Point number four, verse 39. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. There's a period of time in this conversation where uh, the, the pot was on the stove, it was on full boil. And in this conversation that Jesus has with them, uh, the pot got taken off of the burner. Uh, but now the burner is on, and the pot is on the burner, and it's boiling again. They sought to seize him. They sought to take his life. No, his time had not yet come. And at verse 40, he walks out of Jerusalem, never to return until that fateful time when they were successful in their lynching. Verse 40, he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no, no sign, yet Everything John said about this man was true. Many believed. Leon Morris had this, this, this comment that I thought was, was poignant. He wrote, it, it is likely that the Apostle John had in mind a contrast between the hand of the enemy impotent to arrest, and the hand of the Father mighty to protect. So Jesus is gone. He goes to this place where John was, was baptizing, the baptizer. And there were people there. John, we haven't heard from John since chapter 5. Um, but his, his, his legacy, his, his effectiveness, his ministry continued even to this time. People said, <laughs> he kept talking about this Messiah, this Jesus guy, and all of his words are true. John was giving us the straight scoop. This is the guy. And while there were 
many in Jerusalem with stones in their hands. Jesus saw many others on the other side of the Jordan with faith in their hearts. My friends, I ask you, um, are you open to the charge of hypocrisy? Do you say that you believe the scriptures, what God says? Is your living matching your believing? Are you one that, when challenged, uh, stubbornly doubles down on uh, justifying why you do what you do? If in either case you reply, yeah, that's, that's me, I would press you to repent and walk with Christ afresh. Father, thank you for your goodness to us this hour. Pray that you would use these words to bring conviction of our sin and confidence in the truth of Scripture and a solemn trust in he who is the Savior, the Lord, the Master, the Messiah. It is in his holy name that we pray these things.